Our Bible reading this morning is from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 13. And it's titled, John the Baptist Prepares the Way. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in, the Isaiah, in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Thank you, Rhonda. <clears throat> uh, last week, uh, for those who were here and those who weren't here, uh, we basically started the series in the book of uh, Mark and the Gospel, and we just looked at what Mark's Gospel really declares from the opening verse. Uh, the Gospel is about Jesus. He's the Messiah, and the Messiah is Jesus. Uh, but this week, we're going to start looking at what's happening, and over the next number of months, we're going to journey through this, and we're going to, hopefully it will be a journey with Jesus, and we'll be impacted, and we'll be able to learn what it means to walk with Jesus, and to be his disciple. So, uh, so let's pray, and, I'll, um, yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll take a closer look at this passage. Heavenly Father, we come before you this, right now, and open your word, and know it's your word, inspired and given to us by the Holy Spirit, through your prophets, through your apostles, uh, through your called uh, servants. And so, Father God, as we open your word now, we come with great expectation, great anticipation that you will speak to us. And we pray, Lord, that as we consider Jesus and we look at the beginning of his ministry and the baptism, uh, Father, we pray that you'll bless us now and help us uh, to understand this, but more importantly, Lord, to be changed so that we can walk in the way that you've called us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think there are many seasons of life. Uh, we go through all sorts of seasons. But one of the seasons that hits us in our mid-twenties and goes for maybe 10 years, uh, I think, is the wedding season. See, the wedding season, I think I, went, I got married quite late. 
Uh, so I ended up at about 20 weddings as a, as a single fella by the time I was 35. Uh, and I think weddings are one of those things uh, where, where after you've been to a few, there's certain things that you decide make a good wedding. And I think the most important part of the wedding, or I should say the vows, I'm a pastor, but I think it's the wedding reception. So we all know the most important part and moment of the wedding reception. It's the moment of the entrance. See, sometimes uh, it takes a while. Sometimes it happens quickly. Uh, Sometimes it's filled with elation and rupturous applause. Sometimes it's a bit of a non-event. But for me, it's always the part that I've always waited for with anticipation. Because let's face it, it's really when we know whether the $100 we spent on the gift is truly worth it. It's because of the entrance, the moment that you know whether you have wasted your money. So you're sitting at the table, you've run out of small talk, uh, you're hoping the entrance comes soon, and suddenly out of the corner of your eye you see all the kerfuffle, and there it is, the great entrance of the food. That's when you know whether the $100 that you've spent on the gift is worth the money. The entrance of the food, the waiters coming in. But the thing is with the food, I've been to so many weddings, the entree tells you what you can expect from the main course. I've been to weddings and been served party pies and I've been searching for my gift to take it back. I've been to a wedding where it was gourmet seafood, Balmain bugs, prawns, lobster, caviar, just as the entree. And then I start feeling guilty that they're going to open the platter uh, for their present. See, the thing about the entree, it gives us an idea of just how good the main meal is going to be. Just what kind of quality that we are entering into. See, the entree prepares you for the main meal. And Mark begins this gospel with an account of John the Baptist. See, John is the entree. He is preparing the way for the main meal of the gospel. See, but John the Baptist isn't a party pie entree. He is the gourmet seafood entree of the gospel. In fact, Mark says in verse 5, that the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to see John the Baptist. Why? Because there was something special about him and there was something special about his message. In fact, there were great signs that perhaps he was the one spoken about in the Old Testament that would come before the Messiah, who would come before the Anointed One. In fact, Mark here quotes part of Malachi and he quotes uh, part of Micah and a part of Isaiah. But there's other quotes as well that he could have gone to. And one of those is in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, which says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day that the Lord comes. Now, the Jews in their Passover meal, a part of that meal is looking for Elijah to come. It's a part where they go out and they actively look and they say, Elijah is coming. 
because they foresee, even though they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, they foresee that before the Messiah will come Elijah. And Mark gives us detail about how John fits the description there of Elijah. Verse 6, he says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. 2 Kings 1.8 says there that he had a garment of hair, this is Elijah, and had a leather belt around his waist. You see, Mark is giving us detail to foresee that perhaps this is the Elijah that everyone is waiting for. And in one of the other Gospels, John denies being. I don't think he fully recognised it himself, maybe. But Jesus says, but surely Elijah has come. You see, this is the great entree to the Gospel. This is the sign that the Messiah, the fulfilment of all the promises of God is here. He's coming. And John is pointing to the main course. See, the Old Testament tells us Elijah, who had been taken up in a whirlwind, would return. And here, verse 4, uh, verse 4, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, people were being baptised. They were repenting and they were turning their lives around in Repentance. But John recognises that he isn't the main event. And as they're starting to question who he is, he says in verse 7 and 8 here, After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. And then out of nowhere like a big lightning strike, which is what Mark does in his gospel. It just keeps going, bang, bang, bang. Verse 9 breaks into the scene and we're told at that time Jesus came. There's no doubt that John saw Jesus as the Messiah. He was now pointing to the main event. The main meal is here. The gospel has arrived the fulfilment, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And we're told he was baptised by John in the Jordan. See, no more looking ahead. No more anticipating, waiting for God to send the anointed one, the one who would save his people. Verse 9 says, He is here. He has arrived. He has come. He is in our midst. But in the same breath, as Mark loves to do so quickly, we are left with a question. Jesus comes and he's being baptised. Why? Why is Jesus being baptised by John? See, even John tried to deter him. In Matthew 3.14, we're told, uh, John says, I need to be baptised by you. And do you come to me? See, this was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. But we know Jesus was without sin. We're clearly told in the scriptures that this is the case. So why is Jesus 
being baptised. See, this would be like a rainy day at my place. Now, these aren't my kids, thankfully. I've only got two. But this can be my place. As soon as it rains at our place, our kids are outside. I think it just reflects the fact they were born up in the Kimberley and the Pilbara. They go outside in the rain and they just start playing in mud. Now, there's not much I can do about it, so we've come to accept it. And our kids, uh, can, you can guarantee that they get out there right at the time and they're the muddiest that they can ever be right at the moment that dinner's ready. And to call for dinner, it's time, it's time for dinner. So what do we do? We get the hose and we hose them off. <laughs> Just stand there, stop crying, stop complaining. Just, I know it's cold. And so we hose them off. Now imagine I come out of the house and say, boys, dinner's ready. All right, stand by the hose, I'm going to hose you off. And then I give them a hose and say, hey, hose me off. Well, that would be kind of pointless. I haven't been in the mud. There's no reason I'm clean enough. I'm worthy enough to go into the house. I'm already able to go in and sit at the table and have my meal. See, this is the same thing. Jesus has come. He's the one who needs to wash others. There's nothing wrong about him that needs washing. So why is he being baptised? Well, I think there's two main reasons. There's many others, but there's two main reasons. Firstly, Jesus is identifying with those he came to save. See, Matthew 3.15 tells us when John questions the baptism of Jesus, Jesus replies, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. See, Jesus is walking the path that he expects his disciples to walk. He is paving the way for what righteousness looks like. And baptism is a crucial element at the beginning of our faith journey in Christ. If you are obedient to the Father... If you have given your life to the Lord Jesus, if you have allowed him to wash you clean, if God has called you out of the dirt, has washed you clean, then your response, having now been regenerated in the heart, having been given this life by God, is to come and be obedient. And one of the first acts of obedience is to be baptised, to recognise the cleansing that has already happened within you and to publicly acknowledge that God has done this for you and to be cleansed. See, it's not an optional extra. Have you been baptised? And I'm going, as a good Baptist, I'm going, to, I'm going to challenge you. Have you been baptised as a believer? I think it's important. Now, of course, if you can't be baptised for whatever reason, we have a thief on a cross next to Jesus, it doesn't, it doesn't mean you're not going to be saved. It doesn't disqualify you. But as an act of obedience, as you walk in the ways of the Lord Jesus, you should be baptised. Now, for anyone who's here who hasn't been baptised, I want you to come and contact me this week and I want to have a discussion about that. So 
See, he came to basically walk the path to show what obedience looks like for his disciples. But I think there's something even bigger that's happening here. See, he's come to symbolise what he has come to earth to do, what his ministry is actually all about. See, this doesn't demonstrate righteousness. This is a symbolic act to reflect the pouring of sin upon him and the pouring out of his blood to cleanse that sin. I want to remind you of 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, our substitute, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not just about walking in the path of righteousness. It is that Christ, in the great exchange of his death and resurrection, not just gives us forgiveness from sin and pays the punishment, but we are clothed in righteousness. And that's what he's come for, his life for our life, his death for our death. And baptism symbolises this cleansing. Now, if you remember, baptism is a symbol, we're told in Romans 6, as you go down into the water, you are cleansed. You identify with the death of Jesus. You are putting your life into his and you are declaring that you are dying to your old self and you are coming up into the new life that you have in Christ. It is an exchange of identity into Christ and back up. Now imagine all these people that have been baptised by John. They have all gone into this water Now, it's quite possible they stood about waist deep and John poured water over them. That's probably how they did the baptism back then. But the symbolism is it's cleansing them of their sin. And where is all that going? Into the river, Jordan. Jesus enters this river of everyone else's sin that's been cleansed. And he cleanses that sin with his purity and his righteousness as he is baptised. I think there's something bigger going on here. He is foreshadowing the work that he has come on the earth to do, to cleanse the people from their sin, to bring righteousness to those who could not make themselves righteous, to bring forgiveness And so it's like a reversal baptism, if you like. He is having the sin poured upon him and his righteousness is cleansing. And that is what is going to happen as we look towards the cross and as we look towards the true forgiveness that comes through that sacrifice of Jesus' blood. See, Jesus not only identifies with those being saved, but he points us to the sacrifice that he will make as he journeys to the cross to achieve salvation. But the significance of Jesus' identity here doesn't finish with John the Baptist saying, after me will come one whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. And then suddenly at that time Jesus came. 
See, Mark records in verses 10 and 11, not only is he identified as the Messiah, but we have an identity as God's own son. Have a look at uh, verses 10 and 11 there. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, so we're told out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from the heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now I think every son desires the day that their father says, I am proud of you. I am well pleased of you. What a tremendous moment for your father to publicly declare his, his, his pride, his, 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 his pleasingness, being pleased with who you are. But remember back to the very first verse, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Son of God. This is the beginning of the good news. And Mark is leading us from his opening statement to show how he knows this. This isn't just some sort of theory. This is historical. This has happened. This is what took place. He's written this into a space where people who walked at this time could have refuted everything that he says. But no, here we have an instance where God himself makes a declaration of Jesus being his own son. Now I know you all love elections. One of my favourite nights every four years is election night. And I'm not joking. And that's been before I was a Christian, before I was a Christian, I was a rat bag. I remember one, I shouldn't even tell you I used to do this, but before I was a Christian, I remember going for a pub crawl through the city with my mates. Right Before I was a Christian, wasn't a pastor, I've been cleansed by Jesus' blood, get it? And I remember... The first pub, the election, it was the election night and I sat down and started watching and I didn't go anywhere else. They said, are you coming? I said, no way, this is too exciting. And one of the great things about election night is Anthony Green. Now, he's the ABC election analyst and he loves his figures. I love seeing all the numbers come in. Numbers are... Peter Kidd, I'm sure you're up there watching it every day. You're, you're doing the calcs as well, but watching the margins, watching the, the, the swings and the roundabouts and whatever else we look at. I love election night. If you want to have an election night party next Saturday night, come and see me. I might be a bit tired on Sunday morning next week, I'm just telling you. You're coming, Dallas? Thank you, that's great. But the thing is about election night is Anthony Green is seen as the man to make the announcement. Okay, your Channel 9s can say, oh, we think this person's winning or this party's going to win. But it's Anthony Green. If Anthony calls it, then you're almost sure that it's going to happen. I don't think he's ever been wrong. I could be wrong in that, but he, I don't think he's ever been wrong. The result hinges on Anthony Green declaring it. But you know what? It's not the official result because Anthony says it. 
The official result comes when the Australian Electoral Commission makes a declaration after they've done all the counting as to who the winner of the election is, be it in a seat, be it overall. Who's going to form government? And not until the Prime Minister waiting goes to the Governor-General and it's signed into <coughs> truth. But the Electoral Commission is the one who has the authority to make the final declaration of the winner. Well, I tell you, John the Baptist was the Anthony Green of the announcement. The Electoral Commission, the one who has the authority to declare who Jesus is, has now spoken. God himself. It is a final, authoritative statement. This is my son. Jesus is God's son. There is no authority, there is no person, there is no theological debate, there is no scholar, there is no one in all the earth that can change the declaration by the one with the authority. That is God the Father. You are my son. And just so, if everyone else is looking and going, I'm still not sure, we see Father, Son, Holy Spirit all together and the Spirit comes descending down upon Jesus. Now remember, Messiah means anointed one. And here the Holy Spirit is coming to anoint Jesus, to declare to the world that this is the anointed one. Not only has God the Father spoken, not only is God the Son present, but God the Holy Spirit now pours out upon him. And this is highly significant to all those who were present. Because in the Old Testament, before the coming of Jesus, the pouring out of the Spirit was upon those who had been chosen to fulfill certain roles in the kingdom. If you remember back to 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel 16.13, we're told Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed, that's King David, the young David, the youngest son after going through all the other sons, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon David. And we can go through and see the Spirit on Saul and leaving Saul, the Spirit onto a prophet. We can see Isaiah being called in Isaiah 6. See, all these things... The calling of a person was about the spirit that poured upon that person. It's significant that the Holy Spirit comes and anoints Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God. But it's also why Pentecost is so significant for us. You remember 120 gathered in the house the day of Pentecost Jesus said, go and wait for the Spirit. And the Spirit comes and is poured out upon the believers. And as it's poured out, they started showing showing signs of spiritual activity and, and they were anointed with the Spirit. Because the significance of this being uh, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon Jesus is that when we come to faith in Jesus... We become the royal priesthood of all believers. And this 
is why Peter says in chapter 2, verse 17 to 18, the great first sermon after Pentecost, in the last days he quotes Joel. He quotes the prophet Joel. I think it's chapter 2, maybe verses 8 to 10. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Everyone who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus is, is, is baptised in the Holy Spirit. And this is what John is saying here. Verse 8, uh, just, sorry, Mark is saying in chapter 1, verse 8, I baptise you with water, John the Baptist says, but Jesus will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. So this pouring out of the Spirit that then flows on to all believers is the fulfilment of Jesus as the Messiah and the true people of God are those who have put their trust in him, who he has called and enabled to do that. And here we have this great moment where Jesus is affirmed by the one with all authority, Father, Son, Holy Spirit together. This is my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Jesus is the anointed Son of God. See, if there's any doubts about Jesus' identity or the historical reality of Mark's gospel, should put those to bed. Not only did he exist, not only did he show great signs and wonders to affirm it, but the one with all authority has attested it. This is great record. This is great historical significance. It's never been refuted. If it was ever going to fail, well, you'd choose Mark to write the gospel because he's not a scholar. You choose, choose basically all the gospel writers. See, they were ordinary men who were ordained to do extraordinary accounts after much research. And so here we have it. Not only does Mark say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, but we see at the beginning of his ministry, it is affirmed in all the power that you could ever, ever hope for. So my question to you this morning is, will you worship him? Are you willing to accept the testimony of God himself about who Jesus is? Are you willing to recognise that Jesus isn't just a teacher? He's not just a man who was a good man. There are many sects in those, sects as in S-E-C-T, Yes, there are many sects. Sex? How do you say that? Uh, in 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 people who claim to be Christians that deny Jesus is the Son of God or God the Son. Jehovah's Witnesses, Christadelphians. Trust me, I've had very close impact with a lot of these sects when I was doing my own searching. But you have to deny that Jesus was declared that by God himself, God the Father. So who are you going to worship? See, will you recognise that you are not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals? But through faith in him, he makes you worthy. 
to be able to proclaim through the Holy Spirit this great good news and to say Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God with great power, not because it's some uncertainty, but because it is true and we are able to stand firm with great power and declare that. Are you willing to repent of your sin and enter into a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of your sin? Are you willing to open yourself to the Lord's work in your life? Are you willing to be baptised at all? How obedient are you willing to be in response to this great truth of Jesus' identity? Are you willing to walk that path? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to lay down your life as he calls us to? These are all things we're going to see week after week. As we answer the question, who is this man? Well, right up front, Mark goes, I'm not, I'm not, this, is, this isn't some sort of uh, choose your own adventure. Up front, I'm telling you what this is about. Now let's go and see what he's done. And so we get to that great chapter 8 where he turns to his disciples after everyone else saying, who is this? And they can't go anywhere but say, you are the Messiah. And that's where we should end. But I'm putting it to you right now. Have you done that? Are you willing to worship God's Son in whom God the Father loves and with whom he is well pleased. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed saviour of the world, the son of God. Now is your time. Worship him, come to him. And Perhaps you've done that recently. Perhaps you need to reaffirm that. Perhaps you want to be baptised. Many, many things may have come out of today. I want you to come and see me. We need to talk. But if you've done that, then keep walking a steady path with great assurance of who Jesus is so that you can be affirmed by his love and his spirit and you will see things happen in your life that you never dreamt of. Well, let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you've chosen Mark to record this, but it's not Mark's words, Lord. We know that this is... God breathed, it is breathed by you, by the Holy Spirit. And so, Father God, as we reflect on the fact that you have declared with all authority who Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee is, that he is your son, he is the Messiah, he is the saviour of the world, he is the one who is worthy for all people to come and serve. Father God, we pray that you will really move us from today so that we can worship rightly not just with song Lord but with our life with everything that we are and Father God I pray for those who are here this morning who you may have touched their heart may have regenerated this morning or may have really moved them to ask questions I pray that you help them not to sit on the fence not to, not to sit back but to come forward and want to know who Jesus is and know him as their saviour and know him as their master, their Lord, their friend. Father God, bless us this week.
Help us to walk in a way in humility so that we can be confident that our Master, our Lord, our King is here with us, leading us and guiding us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to um, conclude our service today um, with the song Before the Throne of God Above. Uh, Please stand as we sing our final song.